Welcome to Habs Unfiltered. This independent podcast is featured on the Hockey Writers and iHeartRadio, bringing you honest and unfiltered entertainment and discussion on the Montreal Canadiens and hockey news. Your hosts, Matt Smith, Treg Wilson, and Blaine Putney, are proud to be one of your trusted sources. If you are talking about it, so are we. Welcome to Habs Unfiltered. This independent podcast is featured on the Hockey Writers and iHeartRadio, bringing you honest and unfiltered entertainment and discussion on the Montreal Canadiens and hockey news. Your hosts, Matt Smith, Treg Wilson, and Blaine Putney, are proud to be one of your trusted sources. If you are talking about it, so are we. Welcome to Habs Unfiltered, episode 266. I'm your host, Blaine Putney, and I'm joined now by a special guest, uh, Gavin Chiasson of uh, uh, Rec Scouting. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm uh, more than happy to have you here. I, 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 we're, we've got the draft coming up, and the Canadians are clearly uh, front and center, but uh, I'd like to get as many points of view about the draft as I can and your scouting service seems to have quite a few um, quite a few points of view that you guys have found a way to amalgamate yeah um, a lot of different guys are scouting different regions Um, all of us try to keep in keep in touch with the top prospects as well from other regions as we do a lot of uh, video scouting and uh, although Shane Wright has landed as our first overall consensus, um, it's very varied. He had, he's, he's the highest by average, because if he isn't one on anybody's list, he always ends up as two. But he did not receive the most votes for first overall. There was just more variance and Cooley and Slavkovsky both, and the Mets had one. But yeah, it's going to be a difficult draft for uh, for Montreal when everyone's got different opinions. Yeah, them putting their their uh, draft list together, which they're going to be doing this week uh, ahead of the draft. It, I would love to be a fly on the wall in that uh, that conference room as they argue over who should be first. Oh yeah. So yeah. is, do you think there'll be a full battle royale or are they going to do arm wrestling? What's going to be the, the determining factor, you think? Oh, it's going to be tough. I think it's going to come down to what their preference is for waiting. Um, I haven't heard anything of Montreal and Cooley, although I know in Bob McKenzie's recent rankings, one scout did have him at number one, which is currently where I have him. I like Cooley the best. And I think it comes down to if they draft Slavkovsky, they can put him in Finland for another year, give him one more year to develop, can show off that he's a man playing in a pro league, and then they take him over. With Cooley, you can draft him, keep him in the NCAA for a year to develop, and then he can prove it the year after. 
you cannot send Shane Wright back to the OHL. He would bully that league. I don't think it'd be very good for his development. He's almost going pro, and that's almost the only option, and that's going to be a lot of stress on Wright. Um, So I think it's going to mostly come down to if they're willing to wait, I think they would go someone other than Wright. If they're looking for a center who's going to step in right away, uh, I think they will take Wright. Do you think Wright uh, this year was just uninspired because he felt that the league was too easy? Is that kind of your point of view based on the fact that you think he's going to make the leap right away? Well, he's he's definitely very good in the OHL. Um, I don't think he saw it as too easy. I think he took maybe a little bit more of a playmaking role. Um, his rookie year, he was kind of a dual threat. He had good passes, but he was known for his shot. Even coming into this year, Craig Button, all of the big scouts said his biggest thing is his shot. He's got a ridiculous shot, and he does. And we saw it at the U18s, and we saw it in his rookie OHL year. This year, I just didn't see it with his shot. Uh, If I'm not mistaken, he's taken less shots this year than he did in his rookie year. He has a lot more assists than he did uh, in that year. And his passing is probably his best attribute now. So I am interested to see how that's going to work at the NHL level because he hasn't utilized his shot this year as much as I would have liked. But his passing is at that ridiculous stage now where he can receive a puck and get it off his stick as soon as it comes on and it'll be accurate it'll be hard he's definitely a player who's going to move the puck extremely well in the nhl and i don't see anyone being able to stop that do you think that um he would i know you feel like he's he should be making the jump right away but do you feel like maybe because of the missed season due to the pandemic that another year in junior might be helpful or does he really just need to step up and start refining his game at the pro level Um, I'm always a fan of giving players time to develop. It's just hard because of the CHL agreements that are in place because it's either OHL or NHL. I mean, they can call him up whenever they want. If he did stay in juniors, I just think he is a very mature player. And I think he had a slow start to the season, but once January came around, like he was hitting a good points per game. So I think if he was to continue that next year, we would see Shane Wright hit like 150 points. And I don't think that'd be beneficial for him to dominate. I think he should start to get used to playing against men. And uh, yeah, I think, it, I think it'd be better to put him in the NHL this upcoming season. Even if he doesn't go first overall, I think whoever does take him needs to have him in the NHL. Now, would it also be would it be beneficial for him uh, if he does make the leap to the NHL to allow him to go to the World Junior tournaments both in August and at Christmas time because he is still eligible? Yes, Ooh. that one is tough. Um, yeah, being in the summer, I can't see them not sending him. It's always difficult. It always ends up going up to the team. Some teams are like, hey, it's good experience. Some teams are like, we don't want to risk it in case you get injured. Uh, Yeah, that that one's definitely a tough one to answer. I don't know if it would be 
beneficial for him. But I also think if he didn't get injured, then there would be no hurt in it. But you can't tell those things before the tournament. <laughs> now, we all know that he's your consensus, just consensus pick. You pick Cooley. In my opinion, the Canadian's decision is going to come down to between those two centers because when you're building a team, you want to build up the middle first. Mm-hmm. Um, but if the Canadians did side with Cooley, what kind of player would they expect to see in a couple of seasons? In a couple of seasons, you're looking at a very creative player. Uh, he's very smart. He plays at a quick pace. He thinks the game so rapidly on just where he needs to be and utilizes himself properly, whether it be stick lifting, even in the offensive zone, to get rid of players' defensive abilities. Uh, on the puck, Cooley has incredible hands, incredible foot speed. It's very manipulative. He fakes extremely well. He can fake a shot, fake a deke, fake where he's skating. He's very creative like that. I think you're looking at a guy who's going to be, and I don't, when I say player comparison, I don't mean he's going to be like that player. It's just stylistically, you're looking at a Mitch Marner. Do you feel like uh, Cooley is going to end up on the wing based on his size, or is he able to stay at center? I think he can stay at center because he's been putting on weight for the past two years. He's been adding a lot of muscle. Um, He's 5'10 and a half. That's basically 5'11. Like the difference is that much. So I think, I think he'll be fine. He's 180 pounds now. And I think two years ago he was like 160. So that's 20 pounds of muscle. Uh, I think I think he'll be fine. Crosby's only 5'10", might even be a little bit shorter, 5'9 and a half. I think he'll be fine on on center just because he plays he plays like he's bigger than 5'10 as well. He plays like he's six foot. He's reliable two-way. And I just wouldn't want to mess with that. I wouldn't want to throw him on the wing and have him not be that guy who's gonna hustle back and and lift the sticks and kind of lead the breakout, lead the rush. I think that's what Cooley is, is he's a leader on all three zones. Now, Shane Wright has, there's a knock on him that uh, he's not as active on his back checking or his defensive play, whereas Cooley kind of has the opposite. He's seen as very dynamic and very, uh, very energetic. Is that... Do you feel that that is a correct assessment of the two? Um, semi. Uh, Wright can be better defensively than Cooley, but he is a little bit inconsistent. Uh, there were games that I saw him battle in the corners, and when he's applied with a lot of pressure, he'll just kind of dump the puck, and often that puck just ends up on the other team's stick. I'd seen that a few times. Um, Wright is a workhorse for the most part. Like, he will back check, he will do everything. It's just a matter of winning those puck battles. I haven't seen it to the full extent this year that I would have liked. But Cooley is somewhat in the same boat. Uh, I don't think you can go wrong with either defensively. I think they're both pretty pretty even. But a lot of people were saying Wright is on the level of Bergeron, and I did not see that this year. Maybe in O'Reilly? That's what... 
I see more of, and that's what a lot of people have started to allude to. So I think that's probably a better, better comparison. However, Cooley, uh, he, he seems to be trending to becoming more of a dynamic offensive player in comparison to Wright. Mm-hmm. Um, have you, have you done any deep dive on their NHL E points or, uh, projections on either player offensively? I do not look at the NHL E points. I'm more of an eye test guy. Like analytics are all, always good, but it doesn't paint the whole picture. Um, like I've said, it's it's very interesting because Shane Wright was supposed to be like your shooting centerman, and he's kind of taken on a playmaking role a little bit more. Like his passes are as creative as Cooley is. Wright is your quickness and accurate. That's that's what he is known for. Is he when he picks up the puck? It's on someone else's stick within a snap. And I think that's really going to help him offensively. I think that also opens up some creativity. I'd like to see more patience from him. I do like that he's very accurate and very quick, but I would like to see him hold on to the puck and drive the play. Because in the NHL, if someone's on right quicker than they are in the OHL, I'm not sure how he's going to handle those situations as much as Cooley, who will use his body to control the puck and keep possession of it. Now, the uh, the big debate in mainstream media has been Slavkovsky versus Wright for the top pick. Now, we've spoken about Wright. We've spoken about Cooley, who I believe is really in play for first as well. But with Slavkovsky... Um, how much weight do you put on his international play versus his club play? I actually tweeted about this not too long ago. Is a lot of people were saying, "Oh, you can't, you can't count Slavkovsky in there because he only did well at the world events like the Olympics and then the World Championship." And I was like, "Well, not really true." Um, I've been watching him this season. I. I started hovering him between 8 and 11 in my rankings earlier on in the season. Then he had a great Olympic Games, and I went, look, I agree with everyone. The Olympic Games, it's a small sample size. It was seven games, I believe he played in, and he had seven goals. I said, I'm not willing, I'm not even going to move him up one slot unless he can prove that this is the new Slavkovsky. From here on out, he's going to play like he did there. Um, and I tweeted out his first 20 games of the season. He had four points in Liga, seven goals in seven games at the Olympics. And then he just started to pick up the pace. I can't remember what the numbers are specifically, but he ended up finishing the season. Can't remember how much he put in, but he he returned to Liga. He played in the playoffs, which is definitely a harder yeah. environment to play in. And he was able to perform. He put up more points than he did in the regular season. And then he went over to the world championship and had a great world championship as well. So I don't, I don't like when people say, oh, it's just the world events that he played well in because he picked it up. It, the game snapped for Slavkovsky. Like there was the light bulb in the head at the um, Olympic Games. And it continued like that for the rest of the season. So I definitely think... There, there's some weight to put on how well he played, considering 
some of the teams that he was playing against weren't really like NHL level men playing, but I still think he's going back to Liga. He's playing against men. He's been playing against men all year and he started to perform more and more each time. I think you have to look at that as a very good sign and uh, definitely some upside. You, you mentioned right off the top of the show that you felt that he would be benefited from going back to Liga for one more season. Um, if he were to do that, what kind, what level of points would be acceptable? Do you feel, you feel that for an NHL team to say he's reached another level? Um, we've seen a lot of players. It, leagues are always very difficult to to see for points because even points don't show the full spectrum of what's going on. Um, just like this year, like Aturati, the person who was supposed to be first overall in that last year at the start of the season, who ended up dropping all the way into the second round. Once he switched teams, he was a point per game in Liga. Now, does that mean that he's ready for the NHL? I don't think so. I think even Slavkovsky right now is more ready than Raddy is with his huge frame and everything so i would say if he's able to outproduce this year that's definitely a good sign um of course you just want to see the the play is the biggest the biggest part of that is okay he's putting out more points but how is he playing is he looking more dominant slavkovsky is a hammer on the ice he skates great for his size he hits hard he's the hardest hitting forward in this draft class um without a question i've seen him just crush people all year i think if you're seeing that more him utilizing his speed him utilizing his shot better i wouldn't worry too much about the point totals if he put up 35 and 55 games i wouldn't be too worried um we've seen guys put up more in the nhl than they do in the european pro leagues so I wouldn't have a knock. Uh, I would I would probably start to be worried if he regressed back to what he was at the start of this season with four points in 20 games. I'd be like, ugh. be very yeah. difficult. Um, so being a winger, most people, they most scouts, most systems, they'll they'll state all things being equal, you you give the edge to the center. Is Slavkowski that much better as a winger to offset that that uh, bias towards centers? I'm not sure because Slavkovsky is more of a power forward in my eyes, whereas both Wright and Cooley can be playmaking two-way centermen. Um, left wingers, of course, could be, could be better than centermen's in some drafts. This draft, I don't see it. Slavkovsky is, I think, fourth on my board. He's kind of in the, a tier of four and five. So I don't I don't think he's so good as a winger to offset the bias towards centermen. I would take him over quite a few centers in this draft, definitely. But Wright and Cooley are, even while being centermen, unbiasedly should be ahead. Moving on from the first overall debate, um, the Canadians, amongst other teams, uh, have been rumored to be looking to work their way up into the top 10. Uh, there's teams like the Devils, the Flyers, the Senators, who are all open to trading their picks. Is there anyone that you feel would be worth 
the assets that would be required to trade into that top 10? Let's say five. At pick five? Yeah, um, I've heard a lot about Josh Anderson potentially being moved and seeing what you guys can get from him. I, if I was a Habs fan, I would be ecstatic if you can get a pick in the top 10 for Josh Anderson. Whatever else you have to give up, I'm not sure what else there would be. But if, let's say it was a one-for-one one Anderson for a pick in the top 10, you are taking that top 10 pick. Um, a lot of people have said that this draft is not shaping up to be what it was once going to be regarded as. To some extent, I agree. I think the top 16 this year is absolutely loaded with a bunch of guys who can make your first line and be really good. If they had the pick at five, depending if Nemech slips down, I would look at him for defense. Um, I'm not sure if you've seen my draft guide that I recently put out, but he is among the three top players in this draft who have a franchise potential. So if they can get a Shane Wright at one and a Nemech at five, they've won the draft. You've got someone who's going to be your first pairing defenseman who's responsible defensively and leads the breakouts, has tremendous passing, just a very responsible player, and then you're grabbing a responsible centerman. You've had a very good draft if you're getting those two. Other than that, Juracek is a very big gamble. He's got a ton of upside, a ton of upside. Uh, at the start of the season, he was in my 20s. I didn't like him defensively at all. I don't love him defensively, but he has made tremendous strides this season playing against men to the point where I'm like, what can he do in two more years? How good can he be in two more years as a defenseman? Uh, other picks at five, I love Cutter Gauthier. He's been climbing up boards all year. I was one of the first people to have him in my top 10. The more that I watched him, the more I'm like, you can't deny him. Six foot three, skates like the wind, has a tremendous shot, can be anywhere on the ice. If the Canadians don't pick Slavkovsky at one, but they still want a power forward winger, Slavkovsky, or sorry, Cutter Goche is your guy. If you can get right at one and Cutter at five, you aren't going to be missing Slavkovsky at all. Now, it would be it would be uh, impressive if they did move up into the top 10, but I feel it's more likely they're going to get to around 12, 13, 14. Who in that range would be worth a trade-up? Definitely looking at some defensemen. Um, a lot of people say it's the big two this year in the match in Juracek. I'd argue Korchinski and Minchikov are definitely up there. Korchinski, you're looking at a defenseman who's going to take three plus years to develop. He's very raw, but he's very good. Being a raw defenseman who is nearly a point per game in the WHL this year, which is not an easy league to play in, you're looking at someone who could be really skilled. However, I like Minchikov a little bit more. I've liked him playing for Saginaw, who were, I believe, the worst OHL team this year. And he led the team in points as a defenseman, but you're not just looking at an offensive guy. He's responsible defensively. I've really liked how he handles the rush. Uh, he always grabs the inside edge. He always makes sure that he's moving somewhere, making himself of use. He will take the open guy. He'll stick lift. He'll make his presence known in front of the net. 
you're looking at a guy who could be your second pair and be a very responsible one at that. He would be a fan favorite for sure. Uh, for forwards, I'd be looking ooh, at 12. Nazar has been dropping down a lot of lists. And while I have been a little bit vocal on, I don't like Nazar in the top 10 at all. He's definitely a guy that you're taking at say pick 12. I think the skill is undeniable there. He's a little bit lazy at times. His positioning can be very inconsistent, but I think you're going to be sending him off to the NCAA. The NCAA is a great league to round out people's games. And that's exactly what Nazar needs. Where it could go wrong is I've heard Nazar talks with the OHL and that that could be a possibility. I would not recommend that for him. But at the end of the day, I think Nazar is a top 15 pick. If you take him at 12, you you can't complain. There's another name that uh, I've seen sliding down the list. It's someone that for a while was talked about as the first overall pick, and that's Brad Lambert. How far down do you think he's going to slide? I think there's got to be a team who's going to reach at him in the 20s. I think when you're looking at even Ratty last year, I had no business to be at 51. And I think a lot of teams are going to look at that and go, we can't let that happen again. We can't let a guy who was supposed to be like a projected top three pick. And for a really long time, the second guy, it was Shane Wright, Brad Lambert, then the rest. And to have him slide, someone's got to take him in the 20s because after about pick 15, you're not, your chances of swinging on an NHLer are getting lower. So I'd say they should take him in the 20s. I wouldn't pick him above that. And a lot of people look back and they go, yeah, but look at his junior stats. And it's like, yeah, but that's juniors. He has for three straight seasons now, two full seasons, struggled against men. And every time he goes to the U18s or he goes to the World Juniors, he plays well. This World Juniors, he played really well, albeit against two weaker teams, I believe. But he still played well. But I think he's a juniors player. He's got great speed, great hands. He is a pure athlete, very athletic prospect. His brain just does not work as fast as his feet do. He skates to the wrong areas. I think he can be a bit of a perimeter player at times. And when he skates to the middle, he can lose the puck. And I think he may go in with too much confidence. I would like to see him play with a little less pace. As weird as that sounds, I'd like him to slow down the game a little bit and not work himself too fast, because then that will help him focus on the plays that he needs to make and look for. So he kind of has that uh, Angelo Esposito-esque quality coming into this draft I'm, I'm i agree i don't feel like risking a top 15 pick on him would be best but if he were sitting there at the end of the first i wouldn't be adverse to it oh absolutely and speaking of the end of the first the canadians as of now uh as we record it's sunday the, th- the third of july uh to our american cousins uh happy treason day tomorrow um, but at the end of the first, the Canadians hold pick number 26. If they don't trade that away, there's quite a few names that I've noticed on lists that intrigue me, but one in particular, uh, you probably see a lot of being in Sudbury and that's Goyette. 
With Goyet, you're looking at a water bug. A cliff running kind of player. You just zip, zip, zip up the ice. Uh, I like him. I've watched him in Sudbury a couple times live this year. He carried that line. Um, <clears throat> the points do not lie when you're looking at Goyet's totals from this year. Uh, I think you've got a strong player who's going to feel very comfortable playing on the top lines as he did this year, and he probably will the next two years in the OHL. Before moving on to other, I just wish that kind of like Lambert, he needs to slow slow the pace down sometimes and really think about what plays he's going to make. Other than that, he's got great speed, great hands. He's very creative. Um, he enters the zone extremely well. He's always the first one kind of carrying the puck in. And that's what I really like is people who can drive a play. Uh, his possession could be a little bit better. He'd be a lot higher on my board if he could drive a play and hold possession like greatly. I don't see that as much. I wouldn't mind taking him at the end of the first. There's probably other players that I would prefer that are more responsible. But I know the Habs might be looking at Yuri Kulich. I've heard he could be slipping down a little bit. And I've heard Kent Hughes absolutely loves him. And that's definitely warranted. I've also heard the name Lekermaki as a player that they've really keyed in on. They they took him to dinner at the uh, Combine. Um, could you explain to my listeners just what kind of player he is and where you feel he's going to fall in this year's draft? I think a team is probably going to take him in the top 10. <clears throat> You don't see players who get that much hype, especially European players, who are going to fall outside of the top 10 unless they're from a league that isn't well covered, but the SHL is definitely well covered. Um, yeah, LeCarrie Mackey played very good on that Jure Gardens team uh, in juniors where he played with Ogren and Ostland. And I'd say Ostland showed better than he did at juniors just because Austin has insane potential. But when you put them into the SHL, you can tell how, how mature Lakari Mackey is. Although undersized, he handled pressure greatly against men. He was able to win puck battles, which I was really impressed with. Able to win foot races. Uh, still has a great shot. And it's not, it's not so much that it's a hard shot, but it's, it's well thought out. It's accurate enough to get by. It's hard enough to get by. But he thinks of how he wants the shot to be. And he kind of perfects it that way. Of I'm going to hold on to it for an extra two seconds, wait for the goalie to make a mistake, then I'm going to shoot it. And he does that. I think that's one of his smartest attributes. I can definitely see him going in the top 10, especially with how he's played in the SHL through the games that he has. Now, we spoke a little bit about Lambert, who I agree, I feel is going to slide. Is there any other name in this first round that you feel could even slide out of the first round? Philip Massar comes to mind. Uh, the third Slovakian boy on this list. I think Nemec is going to go early. He played um, four-team Slovakia. Slavkovsky played for Team Slovakia. Massar didn't really get that. And I think right now he looks like a bit of a juniors player, sort of like Lambert, I guess. But I'd say the skill is undeniable with him as well. 
I remember earlier in the season, someone said, Masar plays how I play on NHL Be a Pro. Like just trying to do the grossest stuff that you can, make a couple sweet dangles, excellent skating. And that's just who he is, is he's extremely creative. He holds on to possession extremely well. And he isn't afraid to take any room on the ice that you give him. I think I put in my draft guide, if you give Masar a foot, he'll take a mile. Um, I'm surprised that he isn't a consensus first rounder at this point. Um, Sure, he's playing in pro right now, and that might have some scouts wondering what his ceiling actually is. But I think he's a juniors player doing this well in a pro league. I wonder where he'll be in three years. And I think that's a guy that should be swung on in the early 20s. Now, speaking of staying on this topic of sliding, um, I have been looking into some of the Russian prospects and I've been wondering how much of a factor do you feel that the Russian factor will play in prospects such as Trikhozov or Yurov? I think we're going to see something that the NHL is well known for is that it's only going to be a problem if they aren't good enough. So players like Yurov, Maroshnichenko, I know that there's other things with him, um, and Trikhozov, it'll be like, oh, we're taking them early. But then you're going to see a very large gap of where the next Russian players are taking. I think Perevlov will be a second rounder, sure. But then after, I think Yurov and Maroshnichenko will still be first rounders. As scary as it would be to take Maroshnichenko, he's back skating on the ice. He's been cleared. I think a team's going to want to swing on that. Perevlov and Trigazov will be in the second round. I could see there being zero Russians taken in the third. And I think you're going to start to see them pile up towards the end, or there's probably going to be more that are re-entries next year just because they weren't taken at all. Yeah, I, I kind of wor- I worry about not just the, uh, the global political issues that are surrounding them at the moment, but also the the trickle-down with the KHL and them not wanting to give up players and the loss of the transfer agreement. I think that might play a lot into it. Oh, definitely. Um, Like I said, there will be teams that are going to make the risk and they're going to jump on that, especially with how skilled these players are. But I think there will be probably a line drawn somewhere for a lot of teams where it's like, you have to be this good to get drafted now if you're a Russian. I think it definitely definitely will happen. It'll depend a lot on these guys' agents as well. Um, depending what agents can and have in the past worked for NHL teams. So I think it'll definitely be interesting. And staying with later rounds, um, is there a player that you feel that not many people are talking about that would be a gem in, say, the third, fourth, fifth round? Absolutely. I uh, did not discover this player until my final viewings. (coughs) Sorry. He has not been on any lists whatsoever, was not in the draft base for elite prospects. So I didn't have him down. And I forget who I was watching. I was watching someone for HV71 in Sweden in the junior league. And this one player just caught my attention. I'm like, holy cow, Like this guy's a great skater. He's got size. He's got a shot to him. 
very creative. Like he just took charge of the play. Like he looked like a man playing amongst kids. And I was like, okay, I don't know who this mystery man is. So I caught his number, went to elite prospects, checked it out. I'm like, oh, he's got to be someone already drafted to a team. Nope, eligible this year, late 2003 birthday, Nils Juntorp. And he was nearly a point per game in the uh, junior Swedish league. I think he played in Itan, which is the third league there, and he was more than a point per game. And I was so surprised that he was not on anybody's radar. And I had already handed out my final viewing lists to our Swedish scouts. And I'm like, hey, one more guy, you have to watch him. Tell me I'm not going crazy here that this kid could be a second or third rounder and he's just been passed over all year. And they both watched him and they both said, yeah, that's the person who's going to be in our second or third round now. And I've absolutely loved him. I've even had conversations with him recently. uh, And he said he feels like a man playing now. Because just a few years ago, he was like five foot nine. He's like six one, six two, maybe now. And so that growth is is definitely it's challenging to play with because you're playing in a new body. And he's already performed that well. There's a chance that he doesn't even get drafted this year. And I hope he looks at that as motivation, because in a few years, I have no doubt that he'll be able to make his undrafted or draft spot late in the draft. Very bad, because whatever team picks him up, if a team does, is getting a great gem. There's a there's a, a specific team in the NHL that has 14 picks in this year's draft, so you never know. Uh, they might take that swing, especially with the new co-director of uh, amateur scouting, who is based out of Sweden. Might help. Mm-hmm. My listeners may not know it's Bobrov and. It's the Canadians, obviously, Habs. Um, any other, do you have any other little, I don't know, uh, gems uh, to do with this this year's draft? Uh, you know, little little things that we can watch for when we're watching the draft this year. Um, I think a lot of gems usually pop up out of Europe. Uh, North America is very, very well covered for the draft. So usually there aren't too many gems, I would say. They're late bloomers and whatnot, but you'll find that everywhere. But in terms of gems, there are people who just get overlooked entirely. Um, I've already mentioned John Torp, but then another European is, uh, I think he's from Norway, Martin Johnson. He's only five foot nine, but he is skilled and silky. And I know he'll definitely be on a few teams' radars. Other than that, uh, goaltender Nicholas Coco from Finland. <coughs> I really like how he has held the net this year. He's very quick. Very quick. And I believe he's an NCAA commit. So he's going to be coming over to North America. I think a lot of teams are going to take, take notice of that as well. And then from North America, a smaller player out of the WHL, Marcus Nguyen. And he's just almost a little bit like Goyette. He's a bit of a water bug. He's just so speedy, uh, gets around players extremely well. He didn't play a very important role this year. Um, He's a little bit shorter. He's still new to the WHL as COVID shut down a lot of it last year. 
I think you're looking at a guy who, once again, two to three years, he'll get on that top line and he'll definitely show why he should be taken this year. And before I let you go, there's one more player that I have watched and I'm intrigued by, but I have a concern. And it's Lane Hudson. This is a five foot eight defenseman. He's got all the skill, all the mobility, but that size, that size worries me. How far do you think he'll fall in this draft? I think seeing Bob McKenzie's rankings, he was just short of the first round, I believe. So a lot of teams are probably considering taking him at the end of the first or in the second round. But that is almost never the case when it comes to undersized defensemen is they play chicken on draft day because you don't want to make that mistake. But I think he's definitely someone that you should be taking in the middle of the second round, just based on the potential alone. Um, Hudson's definitely the best looking defenseman on that U.S. team. He's just a good skater, a great puck handler. He's very creative, plays with a lot of patience, which I think is one of the most um, underrated traits to have, is he will wait for people to make a mistake. He'll exploit it. Just a very smart player in that regard. However, a lot of people say, hey, it doesn't matter if you're 5'8", so long as you can play like you're bigger. My concern with him is that I don't think he plays like he's six foot. I think he avoids a lot of physicality. He can be physical, but I don't see him. He's not crushing guys in open ice or anything. He's not holding guys against the boards. I think with the struggle that he's had this year against junior players, I can only imagine it gets harder against NHL players. Um, although I've heard he can grow. Um, his older brother is five foot eleven, and he was about the same height at that age. If Lane Hudson can get to 5'11", he would be a first rounder. So I think you have to take a swing in the second round. Your chances of hitting an NHL in the second round are a lot lower than the first, especially if you're the Habs and you have a couple of picks. If you're Arizona and you have a couple of picks, you need to take Hudson. Definitely one of those things. <laughs> if he doesn't make that uh, make that exercise, if he stays where he is, is his top end a third pairing defenseman who can play on the power play. I like my bottom pairing defensemen to have definite size to them and definite physicality. They are your shutdown defensemen. So I would say Hudson at the least would be on that middle pair. Um, he's an NCAA commit. They round out his game. The NCAA is definitely a physical league as well. So I think that's going to help him over the next few seasons. Even if he stays at five foot eight, I think he'd get he'd get enough experience and physicality and enough growth in that area to be considered a definite second round pick. So if he's a second pair, I don't know if I see him as a first pair. A lot of people say that he's an extremely quick skater and has all this top end skill. He definitely has top end skill. I would say the skating if you don't look at his legs, because he is short, so his legs are moving over time. If you don't look at that, I don't think he's necessarily far above average in speed. He's definitely above average. So I would say you're looking at, yeah, probably a middle pairing defender who would excel on your power play, though. You stick a guy like that on your power play because of his his hands and his passing. Kind of a... Uh, uh, uh 
bargain basement uh, Quinn Hughes. Yeah, that's that's pretty fair. That is definitely fair. Um, both of those players excel with space. So, yeah, I, I feel pretty confident about that as well. He's not going to live up to being as good as Quinn Hughes, but he's stylistically semi like that. Yeah. Right. And uh, I, I want to thank you for coming on the show and kind of giving us a, a little bit of a preview of the draft that's coming up this week. Uh, could you tell my listeners where they can find your work and where they can buy your draft guide? Yes. Um, so my draft guide is actually free. Um, just kind of a little bit of an experiment this year. It, I'm, I'm proud of the work that I put in for how long it was, but knowing what I know now, how long it took, I need to start earlier and I'll be able to freshen everything up for next year. Uh, you can find it on recruitscouting.com. And I'm the owner and full head of that. And my Twitter is at NHL Chason. And that's where they can find me. <laughs> well, Gavin, I truly appreciate you coming on the show and talking about this. Uh, I, I like I like plugging uh, the the new guys coming up because I've se- I've seen the work that you've you, your team has been doing. It's really good, and it doesn't hurt that you're from Sudbury which is a plus for me. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. So um, thank you very much. And to my listeners, uh, thank you for listening. And remember, uh, if you're talking about it, so are we. Do you or someone you love obsess over the Habs and they aren't even a fan of the team? Is your social media filled with old jokes and pathetic attempts at trolling? Then you have HOD, Habs Obsessive Disorder. From the makers of Bergy Arms comes 3 to 1. 3 to 1 is specially formulated to cause a temporary choking sensation, which will remind you that your team hasn't won a playoff series since the invention of HD television. Side effects may include a desire to shave your head and grow a goatee, a lack of fashion sense, an uncontrollable urge to say, but Tavares was hurt, pretending every head coach this century doesn't call your team soft an uncontrollable urge to choke in the playoffs, and a realization that your ability to have an inferiority complex while simultaneously being obnoxious while never winning is why you're found undesirable. Ask your doctor if 3 to 1 is right for you. and I'm shining a light on music and the rock stars who make it. He just was one of those people, he, he stood out. He was a magic guy. He really was a magic guy. All, we all have force. He had the same amount of force as we all have. This was before Led Zeppelin. Robert was full on. I mean, he was Led Zeppelin without the band behind him. He had the hair, the jeans, the whole thing, you know. And he was amazing. The Records and Rockstars podcast, heard around the world and yours to hear wherever you get podcasts. All the episodes from jeffwoodsradio.com. 
I'm Matt Kundle, host of the Sound Off Podcast, the show about podcast and broadcast. Since 2016, we've been speaking with amazing people who have populated your ears for decades. Legendary broadcasters, research wizards, talent experts, podcasters, voice talent, almost 400 stories, all for free. Subscribe or follow the Sound Off Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at soundoffpodcast.com.